Welcome back to another episode of the Hazmat Chat. This is going to be part two of an episode that we had recently called Walk Before You Run. In that episode, we really focused on knowing what your primary tasks are in the hazmat industry before you take on additional things. We talked about making sure that you're, if you're a rail car loader, that you're keeping the stuff inside the package, that you're sending it out in good condition for transportation. So rail being a subject near and dear to my heart, the biggest thing to me is safety. So today's conversation, that's the part we're gonna focus on. Um, I wanna talk to you about some of the things that I've seen in my career that make me really nervous for people's safety. My whole job, the whole reason for this company is to make sure that you go home at the end of the day in the same condition that you arrived at work that morning with all your fingers and toes and everything else. So the items we're gonna talk about today are things that I've seen that I really feel strongly um, can help you make sure that that happens, can help you make sure that you stay safe in the jobs that you do every day. So the first one we're gonna talk about is caution signs. So if you've ever seen a rail car being unloaded or loaded, you'll always see these blue signs at the end of the rail cars that say stop in big white letters. And they'll often say something like tank car at work, crew at work, the most awesome crew ever works here. Um, and so those signs, the whole point of those is to make sure that any locomotives or car movers that might be coming down that track will see that sign in enough time to be able to stop before they connect to the end of those cars that are being loaded or offloaded. Now, if you think about it, most of the time when those cars are moving down the track, the locomotive isn't going to be at the head end. It's going to be at the rear because they're going to be pushing those cars in. So one of the things that we see a lot, which makes me terribly nervous, is that the caution signs will be way too close to the ends of the cars that are being loaded or unloaded. Five or 10 feet is not going to get the job done. That's not going to give the locomotive or the car mover the time to be able to stop the movement of those cars before they connect in and hurt the people that are loading or unloading those cars. I mentioned this in the last episode, but think about this. If you're the one working on those rail cars, that's your hands, your head, your feet, your body underneath those rail cars. If a locomotive hits them, you're gonna be the one to get injured or worse. So it's really, really important when you're positioning those caution signs to make sure that you're providing enough room for them to function as intended. Another thing that um, makes me really nervous is that we often see that those signs are not respected. If, you're, if you've ever been a railroad employee, or the blue flags is what they call it in the railroad, we call them caution signs in the shipping industry, but blue flags are a very serious item. You don't move anyone else's blue flag, you don't take it down, you don't move it, anything like that. Unfortunately, I have witnessed a rail car company bringing rail cars into a shipper's facility on the same track where cars were being loaded. They took the caution sign down and the derail in this case and put those cars behind that near the cars that were being unloaded and then dropped them, moved the locomotive and put the sign back up. That's a huge no-no. That, that defeats the whole purpose of the caution sign. It puts not only the locomotive crew at risk, but most importantly, the people that are loading those rail cars. So you have to respect those caution signs. Don't touch them if you didn't put them up or if you're not the one loading or unloading those rail cars and make sure they're far enough away from the end of the cars that they're gonna function as intended. Another issue that we see a lot is the placement of derails. Now, a derail, there's two types. There's a unidirectional derail, which will either protect the rail cars from running out onto the mainline track, that, you know, the, the cars with the loading rack, 
or they can protect the locomotive coming in on top of those cars being loaded. And they will actually force the cars to derail and put them on the ground so that they don't cause um, some sort of catastrophic damage. A bi-directional derail will protect those uh, in both directions, both the locomotive coming in and the cars potentially running out. That's the one that we recommend for obvious reasons, right? It provides the most protection. But one thing that you really need to think about when you're buying derails, placing derails, is where are the cars going to go? Again, the whole point is to put the rail cars on the ground, to take them off the tracks, off of where they're designed to go, and put them on the ground before they hurt or kill someone. So when you're planning for those cars to be derailed, think about where they're gonna go. If on one side of the track you have an empty field, and on the other side of the track you have your million gallon storage tank of flammable liquids, maybe you don't wanna derail the cars into the storage tank. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised at how often they never thought of that. Um, if you have critical infrastructure, such as switches, multiple tracks that you would take out if you derail the cars, um, storage tanks, like I mentioned, electric lines, above ground piping, and especially, most importantly, occupied structures, you wanna make sure that the cars are going to derail away from those things to the extent possible. Whether that's moving the derails to the other side of the track, moving them further down the track, whatever the case might be, just make sure that it's far enough away from the loading racks that the cars will derail without hitting those, those loaded cars. Another item is handbrakes. So I recently was at a client's facility and they had 19 connected rail cars on a fairly high level of grade for a loading rack. Normally loading racks are pretty flat, this one was not. And they only had one handbrake set. So there's no hard and fast rule. There's no regulation that says you have to set this number of handbrakes. The regulation actually says sufficient handbrakes to hold the cars. I would, however, argue that one handbrake for 19 cars on a pretty steep grade is not sufficient. The general rule of thumb in the industry, industry best practice says on zero grade, you do 10%. Obviously, if there's more grade, the steeper the track, the more handbrakes you need to set. Again, this sounds like it's just talking about rail, but you gotta think about this. This is really, a critical safety issue. If those cars start rolling away when there's people on top of them or under them or beside them, someone is going to be seriously injured or killed. So you have to put safety first. Everyone says that, right? Every company, safety first, no excuses. We say it too. But you have to really think about the consequences when you're setting up your safety program, when you're setting up your procedures, because there's really true lives at stake, no matter what industry that you're in. After you've got all your handbrakes set, you've completed all the work on the cars, don't forget to remove all the handbrakes to release them before the rail car uh, gets pulled off the loading rack. If you don't release the handbrakes or you don't release all of them, you're gonna be dragging your handbrakes. You're gonna be dragging the wheels, which could cause prematurely worn or damaged brake shoes, flat spots on the wheels. And the flat spots can lead to track damage, broken wheels, and ultimately derailed rail cars. So even though we wanna make sure we have good solid handbrakes, when we're working on the cars, we've got to make sure they're released before we pull them. Another one that's really, really important, and this also goes especially for the trucking industry as well as the rail car industry, um, you have to make sure that anything, when you're loading and unloading, especially if it's flammable, that you're going to be grounding. Um, grounding cables are pretty much used on just about every truckload I've ever seen for tank trucks, um, and, but they're not as frequently used on rail cars. The most important thing that you have to understand is you should be using grounding lugs if they're available. Grounding lugs are pieces of usually brass that 
uh, are unpainted and provide a good solid surface for you to get a ground on. If there's no grounding lugs available, be sure to use some other unpainted surface on the rail car or on the truck. Now, one thing you never wanna do is ground to the wheels or uh, anything on the, the trucks, the, the, assembly, the wheel assembly, because those are often insulated from the tank car or from the, the tank truck. So there's usually some sort of an insulation pad between those, which means if you're grounding to the wheels, you're not really grounding uh, from any sparks that might affect the material. So you can always, and you don't wanna tell your, uh, your car owners this, but you can always take the teeth of the grounding cables and scrape away a little paint if you have to do that. It's most important that you get a ground. So there's, there's a few different systems that you can use. Some, we have positive grounding systems which require you to have a ground in order for the pumps to work to affect the loading and unloading. That's obviously the best way, right? You can't load or unload if you don't have a positive ground. There's also lighted grounding systems, which will tell you if you have a ground, but it won't prevent you from loading whether or not you have one. And then of course, there's the old um, wing it, which is definitely not what we recommend, especially in the case of flammable liquids. Uh, so if you have the opportunity to get the most advanced system, the positive ground system that requires uh, the ground for the for the pumps to work, that's the way to go. The lighted system is a second best option if necessary. All right, the last part of this conversation today, um, we wanna talk about safety bolts. Now, again, we're talking about rail cars specifically, we're talking about tank cars and to some extent tank trucks, but this goes back to safety issues, making sure the safety systems that are built into the equipment that we're using are actually functioning. So safety bolts are typically found near the manway cover uh, handle. On a six bolt manway, you'll generally have one safety bolt and on an eight bolt manway cover, you're generally gonna have two. There's a couple different styles, but the most common are either a collar, um, which looks like a little piece of round metal on the bolt underneath the manway cover or what I like to refer to as fangs or two little teeth um, that hold onto a bar underneath the manway cover. The point of these are to prevent the manway cover from flying open when it's under pressure thereby knocking you off the rail car, which could cause significant injury or even death. That's a 16 foot fall onto usually hard rocks or concrete. So we wanna make sure that doesn't happen. So these safety bolts will prevent the, the manway from flying open under pressure, give you the opportunity to relieve the, relieve the pressure before you're able to remove the safety bolts. We just talked in the last episode, I had mentioned that we were gonna be discussing impact wrenches. And here's where we're gonna have that conversation. A lot of companies tend to use impact wrenches to open manway bolts or to close them. And the problem with this is there's basically an unrestrained amount of torque being put on these bolts. And with the safety bolts, especially the collared ones, if you put too much torque on them and tighten that too much, you're gonna force that safety bolt down and, and break it away from the position it's supposed to be in, which will cause that safety bolt to fail, thereby circumventing the protection they were supposed to provide. That means, the next time you go to open that manway, there's nothing to stop it from flying open. Some poor unsuspecting guy's gonna come along and open that manway, it's gonna pop open and fling them off the rail car. That is the worst possible thing that could happen. So we definitely want to, I don't recommend using impact wrenches at all, but if we're gonna use them, we gotta use them responsibly and make sure we're not driving it all the way to the bottom. That's not the way they're supposed to work. You can stretch those bolts beyond the point where they can even hold torque anymore or, or hold tension anymore. You can warp the manway cover, which wouldn't think you could, right? It's a pretty thick piece of metal, but believe it or not, I've seen that happen many times when impact wrenches are abused, let's say. 
safety bolts should always be checked to make sure they're operating before you get up on top and start working on that rail car. Make sure they're present, make sure they're not broken, um, and make sure they're gonna hold. If you have any doubts about it, definitely discuss it with your supervisor before you start working on the rail car. Thank you so much for joining me today for the second half of our episode. I appreciate you being here with me and I hope you enjoyed it. Stay safe, thank you. 